Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. From Hall. The place is at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. the great college basketball venues in the nation, UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back to Talking Out Loud, your favorite podcast for Dayton Flyers basketball. Still number one in the conference. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I'm your boy Sully coming to you live tonight. This is Wednesday evening, March 2nd. And I am joined, like I often am, by Brooks Hall, who used to wear Dayton across the chest. Brooks, funny thing to kick off the show tonight is that I looked back at, I believe, the first episode that we ever did together, and it was March 2nd, 2021. So we are at the one-year anniversary of being podcast buds, man. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel good about it, man. Happy anniversary. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I expect, I enjoy gifts, so I expect something in the mail, man, to celebrate. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm going to I'm have to listen back to that show, man. I'll, what did we even talk about? Did you listen? Man, that's a great question. No, I just <laughs> saw that you know, I'd sent you, a, as I always do, I send you the link for the show and then we get recorded. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, it was at the end of the year. Um, and I, I don't, man. That's the thing. I, uh, I don't dwell on the shows that we do. Um, some people want to cold take me or they want to revert back to things I said in November, but I don't live my life like that. You know, I'm, I'm reactionary. Oh, you don't cold, hey, hold on now. You, you don't cold take people? <laughs> all right. I didn't say that. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. No, I definitely do that from time to time. Um, so we're, we're here to talk to Aiden Flyers tonight and thanks for listening to the show. Um, you know, we're, we're winding down here. We got a month, you know, God willing of the season left to go. Dayton Flyers, one game left in the regular season, and then they go to the A-10 tournament in D.C. next weekend and be March 11th. So let's start the show tonight right there before we break down the Richmond game from last evening, which would have been Tuesday. So before I get to that, we have to get to the scenarios that have played out tonight. Brooks and I waited a little bit longer on Wednesday night to record for the simple reason that there was one game in the conference that did have significance for your Dayton Flyers. It was Davidson and George uh, Mason, sorry. And the again, the game had significance because what Davidson did in that game mattered to us. Unfortunately for the Flyers, they cannot, they can no longer win a share of the A10 regular season because Davidson took care of business, moving to 15 and 2 on the season, and they have clinched at least a share of the conference title. What that means for Flyer fans is that the game on Saturday will be for the two or the three seed for Dayton. They can't finish any lower than third because they are uh, a game and a half ahead of St. Bonaventure and St. Bonaventure got the shaft. They're not going to be playing 18 games. So with that, Dayton's no lower than three. If they win and a VCU loss comes to pass against St. Louis on Saturday, they will go into the two seed because they will have the tiebreaker with VCU via beating Davidson. However, if the Flyers lose to Davidson, no harm, no foul, they'll still be the third seed. And if VCU wins and Dayton wins, then unfortunately the Flyers will be the third seed and we will propel the Richmond Rams to a share of the conference title as well. Uh, Brooks, any confusion there, or did I lay things out, you know, pretty succinctly? Oh, oh, I, oh I stopped listening three minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I had to break it down. I mean, that's where we're yeah, at. No, take, your take your time. I'm just not listening, man. Let me know when you're ready. <laughs> Uh, that's the scenario, Flyers. Uh, they get the three seed um, most likely. And uh, what you know, what I like about this particular scenario is that we don't have to start early in the day on Friday. 
So the first game for the Flyers, depending on how Saturday plays out, will either be at 6 o'clock Eastern or 8.30 Eastern in D.C. All right. So now that that's all laid out, Brooks didn't listen. He doesn't care. He'll probably listen to the show afterwards so he can get a breakdown because someone's going to ask him after the show's over. But um, <laughs> last night in Richmond, the Flyers do what they do best when just when you think they're dead and buried, just when you think you're ready to tune them out until they go to D.C., now they do something to totally redeem themselves. Uh, a great back and forth game. I thought it was, I'm not going to say it was one of Dayton's most complete games, but I thought that given what happened on Saturday, they bounced back extremely well. They played a really solid first half where they won the rebounding battle. They shot over 40% from three. Turnovers were a little bit high, but every time that Richmond gave them a punch, they counterpunched and they went into the half with the lead. From where they they came from on Saturday against LaSalle, I thought it was a great performance in the first half, and then they held on, did just enough in the second half, and what do we talk about all the time? The Flyers, led by their defense, were just hanging on, possession by possession, forced Richmond into a lot of bad shots, and the Flyers couldn't necessarily score in bunches in the second half, but the defense was good enough to get the job done, and then, of course, whether Grant called it, whether Comer called it, I don't know who called the play. We'll give Grant credit because, you know, we like to give him credit when things go wrong. Um, whether he called the play or not, it was a great inbounds play to R.J. Blake. Need to slam it home. Flyers get the win 55-53 in Richmond. And to be honest with you, Dayton really hasn't struggled at the Robin Center. That's four in a row there. Uh, before that, they lost seven in a row, I think, before the four in a row. But four in a row in Richmond is nothing to slouch at. So, Brooks, what were your takeaways from last night before we, we kind of, you know, talk about the yin and yang for the Anthony Grant argument? Yeah, so so let me start with, I don't care who called the play either. We're on the yeah, same page there. Really, yeah. <laughs> like, it really doesn't matter because, like you said, you hit it on the head, and I know we'll get into it in a minute, but – if you're going to give him all the blame in those close losses, which I guarantee you the same thing happens in close losses where where he's getting feedback from his coaches, but we give him the blame for him. So in a close win, he's going to get the, the praise for it, in my opinion. Um, but but man, you hit a lot of good points. Listen, it, it was it was a great bounce back win. Um, the guys were were that LaSalle loss, man. It, it hit them hard. It didn't hit them as hard as a lot of the fans. Um, now, I'm not saying they don't care. It was a terrible loss. They yeah, were sick yeah. about it. But but the reality is they got to move on to the next one. They, they let they let an opportunity slip and a big opportunity. Uh, but they learned a lot from that game. I mean, we and here's what I, I hear people talk about that loss and LaSalle and people we lost to LaSalle. Yeah, I get it. It's a terrible loss. No excuses. But there's a difference between an excuse and a reason. Let's not pretend that that Tamani Kamara not being there, like like that. There's an asterisk by that loss, right? I know. Like he's he's literally the best player the last month that this team has had overall. Yes, Holmes is awesome. Yes, Molly does some, but overall, he's been our best player. And, and so to remove him from the lineup at short notice, by the way. Yeah, man, it's it's a huge loss. Still should have beaten LaSalle. Again, not an excuse, but I'm just saying I think people were treating it as if a fully loaded Dayton team lost to LaSalle. And I, I think that was just more people's frustration because the opportunity, <laughs> LaSalle's the reason we, we don't have a chance for first place. Like, come on. Yeah, man, that's and that's what it was for me. Um, you know, whether it was frustration boiling over or, um, you know, you know what it was. And I'll, I'll tell you exactly what it was for me. And this is always the case for me, especially in the last five years. And I've had this show. I'm held accountable for just about everything that I say, just about everything, not everything. But here's where it always is for me, is that I have like after the one and three start, I'm like season's dead and buried. And, and I really believe that I was like, I, you know, we're not playing for an at large anymore. And then slowly but surely, you know, I got to admit, hey, that was a little nearsighted. Hey, this might be wrong. Hey, hold on. Maybe they have a chance at the at large. Hey, now, wait a second. Some guys that do brackets are putting UD in. Hey, wait a second. If we win three or four more in a row, we're right there on the bubble where we need to be. You know, so I'm always a person, especially these days, 
to walk it back and say, all right, you know, that was wrong. Let's recalibrate. I'm a prisoner of the moment in a lot of different ways. Right. And yeah. in this season, it's it's kind of exposed that. Right. Because after one and three, I'm like, this team sucks because that's really what I believed. And you really couldn't you couldn't formulate an argument to tell me this team didn't suck when they were one and three. All right. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure they would have probably told you, yeah, we've sucked, you know, but they yeah, believe yeah. that they were going to turn it around. Right. And so I think this season's exposed it because, you know, then you go to Kansas, they pull out the win. People are like, oh, I told you so. I'm like, I don't know what you told me. So, but then we get into conference play and it's like, all right, let's just have some fun. See what happens. There's three weeks to go in conference play. We still have a chance at a conference title. Okay. I was wrong there. You know, this team has responded well. They've grown. They're starting to win games. And then Saturday happens, and it's like everybody is like, all right, Sully, quit being so negative or, you know, just come around because there's actually a chance. And then I do, and then the rug gets pulled out from under you. But I got to be honest, man, that's that's kind of the nature of being a Dayton fan over the last, like, 25 years. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to argue that, but here's what I'll say. It, it with in that response right there, you basically said that you got caught in the moment, one and three. I get it. We're all frustrated. We're not used to losing to those terrible teams that beat us in that stretch. Um, but then they bounce back, and you started to believe again. So it's it's like, and you believed. Everybody started to believe in this team again, and then it's one bad loss, and all of a sudden people forgot that the last two months how much they believed in this team. Sure. It's the same team that had a remarkable turnaround that no one expected. I don't care who you are. No one expected, even myself. I thought that they would battle back and get better throughout the year. No way that I thought that I think that they would go from one and three to a potential to a bubble team. Exactly. No one did. So, so I guess it's like, okay, man, they dropped one at LaSalle. We fought back, had a chance to win the title, but we lose that bad game without our player who the player who's playing the best overall. And people like were jumping off a cliff and this team sucks and Grant, I can't believe it. It was like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to pretend that the turnaround for this team hasn't been remarkable? I mean, that was just my frustration with the. But here's what I say, though. I, I don't, I love the, the passion that, that fans have for the Flyers, good and bad. Yeah. I, I think when it gets personal, as I said on Twitter, and I, I that's where I kind of check out of conversations. Yeah. But if you could come to me with real basketball, arguments instead of saying this guy's terrible or he can't do like like tell me why you feel that way and we could talk basketball but that's where I get a little annoyed with people's opinions but but man I'm I'm just as frustrated as as the next sometimes but man you know we got to jump into this grant conversation right like that's the hot topic yeah it is it is man yeah I want to know okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the floor for this one and there's this there's this elephant in the room where, or not even elephant in the room. There's this division. There's some people that don't think he's the man for the job or have been frustrated with him over his five years. And there's others that that have his back. What where, where, where do you stand on on Anthony Grant? Like right now, as of today, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I mean, you know, that's why I opened the show that way because I I really am a prisoner of the moment in a lot of different okay. aspects, um, but. In this particular argument, you know, I love I, I like to think that I'm able to remain objective in that I know that he's not as bad as our worst losses, right? Like I was not putting the LaSalle game on him. I really wasn't. I was like, how are you gonna come out and lose a LaSalle when your season was literally on the fucking line? Like that's where Fair. I was, you know? Fair. And okay. I got taken to task on Twitter, like in Again, I have experience with this, so I, I think I deal with it better than most. But people are like, you gave up on the team and you're trashing the program. And I get so sick of that shit. And it's honestly coming from people that have never been in a locker room and they've never been in a competitive situation. Because if you think for one second, fair listener, that Anthony Grant did not go into the locker room on Saturday and drop a few F-bombs at some 18 and 19-year-old kids you are naive and you're fucking kidding yourself, okay? There's no thing I've ever said on Twitter that wasn't worse than the worst thing that Anthony Grant has said to his team after some losses. AG's a guy that'll get after your ass when you're not performing, right? But but do you want to know the difference in that, though? 
I'm just a fucking guy, and he's there you the go. coach. And, 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 yeah. here's, and here's and here's the yeah, that's the major difference that can't be overlooked. For sure, you're right. You're you're right. He he gets in them like he goes off. But but there's also a relationship there. One of the best sayings that a coach had ever said to me: "You can't make deposits. I'm sorry, you can't make withdrawals without making deposits." <laughs> yeah. So he he can get away with the, he because there's a genuine relationship there. So he may be able to flirt with that line of challenging them. Or, or going off on them or whatever. But but like some of the stuff I see with random fans or people that don't have any kind of relationship with these kids or the investment, and it that's the part where it kind of crosses the line. Now, I agree. with that being said, tell me just tell me where your thoughts are on him. Is he right for the job? Do you believe in him and what he's done with the program so far? Like what is your stance on on AG? I do, yeah. So sorry, I, I did kind of take that off into a different direction, and I didn't mean to skip the question because we got time tonight. That's this is why we came to the mic, right? Um, yeah. So where I'm at right now is that I do think he's the guy for the job, and the reason is he's a Dayton guy. He gets the brand, he gets the town, he gets the school, he gets the fan base. He knows how much support and money and you know, like you said, passion kind of goes into it, right? Because if people didn't care, that'd be a bigger problem. Look around the league, look at Fordham's, look at UMass's, Duquesne, yeah, right. If people weren't bitching on Twitter, that means they don't care. And that's a bigger problem for me. So where I'm at right now is that I personally think he is the man for the job. I think having an alumni and having a guy that's so well-respected in basketball circles goes so far for us. And if you want me to use a specific example of why I want him to lead our program, Deron Holmes is the example. Deron Holmes' parents love Anthony Grant. They love that man. They would run through drywall for that dude. Okay? Like, that is a stone-cold fact. You can take it from me here on this podcast. And Deron's parents nudged him in the way of going to Dayton because Anthony Grant did what he did with Obi Toppin. You can already see it. Look at how Duran runs down the court as soon as we get a rebound. Where the hell do you think that came from? He watched film of Obi Toppin over and over and over again, and that's what makes him so good, right? So that's the part that's positive, right? Where I think that he consistently shows us issues is the late game situations. And even in Richmond, okay, again, mm -hmm. I, I feel like I always have the time to, to kind of properly lay out all these things, right? But being in the moment, there was, what, a minute and 10 seconds left. They go to the review for like three minutes. They come back. Dayton didn't call a timeout out of that. They had three timeouts. They didn't use one. Okay, fine. You already had three minutes. And then Kamara doesn't know that there's five seconds on the shot clock, okay? That's something mm -hmm. that I'm not willing to put on the player because in the huddle, that needs to be impressed upon him. So what I'll say, and, and the reasons that I have pause, is that when the game's on the line and we get into the shit, whether it's, you know, you get caught up in the moment. You know how it is when you're on the court, man, things are moving fast. Like you don't have the sure. TV screen showing you the score. You don't have like everything right in front of you like fans do on the television there's a lot you need to process and there's a lot that you need to spit out in that time and i think that the issues that he has down the stretch in the last five minutes are quite glaring and i don't really need to like argue with people about it like he's a 500 coach at the end of games and he was a 500 coach at vcu in alabama he got to Dayton. It's still kind of that same way. And people go, all right, well, he's 500 in close games. Well, okay, that's fine. But you can't hand wave that to a certain extent because Dayton pretty much always has more talent than the other team on the other side of the floor in the A-10. Or Dayton's going to have more talent maybe four out of five nights, you know? So my, my whole thing is that I've never called for Anthony Grant to be fired. I think that's ridiculous. I think anybody that has is absolutely ridiculous at this point. But – you are now looking at a situation where, you know, we could go six seasons and never see the tournament. And somebody's got to be held accountable for that. And I think that, unfortunately, or, you know, however you want to slice this, unfortunately for Anthony Grant, there's going to be three or four games every single season that decide whether we're going to the NIT or going to the NCAA tournament because you just saw it this year. 
if Dayton is one game better or two games better, if they go two and two to start the year, even if they didn't, you know, beat LaSalle, they're getting into the tournament or they're in the conversation for the tournament. So, like I said, unfortunately for Anthony Grant, yeah, he's a 500 coach, you know, in one possession games, games within five points. But that's the difference between a program that goes to the NIT consistently and a program that goes to the NCAA tournament consistently. So okay, that's so, where I land on it, man. So, so that's all. Honestly, I mean, it's great feedback, and, and I appreciate you laying it out, laying it out that way. Tell so, so here's where my my why I know or I'm, I feel strongly um, that he is definitely the man for the job, and not only that, he's going to turn this program into a powerhouse. Now, let me state before I get into it. Of course, I'm biased, right? Like former player. I'm always going to have a certain bias to the coach, um, even if I don't think that they're doing an excellent job because I, I am, you know, somewhat in the trenches. Right. Like I'm not sweating and blood, sweating tears with them. But but there's that former player relationship. I'm around the program a lot. I develop relationships with the players in terms of friendships and that kind of thing. So I'm, all, I'm I am a little bit biased. So let me get that out the way. But with that being said, I absolutely think he's the man for the job. So so let's start with I agree with you. Let's start with his deficiency or, or where people question his his lack of late game management. Sure. I'm not going to to, to argue because I say that numbers tell a story. They don't always tell the story, but sometimes numbers do tell the story. Right. So him being average over several years, late game or close game situations. I, I can't argue that. Uh, so, but here's what I'll say to that. Every player, co everyone in the athletic world has strengths and they have weaknesses, right? Like Steph Curry, LeBron James, the top, the best of the best, they have their many strengths, but guess what? They have some weaknesses. Same thing with coaches. Coaches are going to have certain strengths, certain weaknesses, it's it's do those strengths outweigh the weaknesses is what it should come down to. So. So, yeah, has he had some questionable late game decisions where maybe I we wouldn't have done things that, of course. But that's what we do. We, we second guess that that's the culture we live in. When, when, when we're able to see the results, then we second guess. Well, I would have done this kind of that's the world we live in. Yeah. But but with that being said, let's take a closer look at the last five years. And, and why I think he's being unfairly um, judged, okay? Year one, if we go back to his year one, that was the Zerius, and uh, we, could co we can go on and on about that roster, right? You, you cleaned house and started over, yeah. There you go. But 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 my point is I was there. Like, I'm inside. I knew what he was doing. He, he chose to sacrifice year one to build a foundation. I said this earlier on Twitter. You probably know where I'm going with all these arguments. Yeah, yeah. So, sure. so, so he – he blew that thing up. He took losses to teams that we shouldn't have lost to. He was benching guys that were used to playing. He basically said, guess what? My tenure at Dayton, it's going to be this way. And if you don't like it, you don't play. Yeah. Like, if you don't buy in, you don't play. And I respect okay. that. I respect that at the time. I, I very. I was like, by the end of the year, I said the same thing. I was like, okay, I get it. He blew it all up, starting fresh. Well, and that's why, fast forward, that's why we have the culture we have today, right? We don't think, do we have knuckleheads on this team, right? Do we have, and if we do, it's every now and then, and it's addressed, right? Yep. And and we it never gets out of hand. But let's go back. Okay, so year one, we're going to count that against him, but he basically sacrificed year one, okay? Year two, now you have to, so you spent the whole year building the foundation, and this is how the rules are going to be, blah, blah, blah. Well, year two, now you have to implement your stuff. Now you've got the buy-in. So now you have to, to start building what you're going to do from a basketball standpoint, right? Yep. So so year two, of course, it's going to be more of a learning curve. It's You're, you're going to see improvement, but really it's his first year of actually having full buy-in and, and, and moving forward towards building a basketball program now. So year two, okay, it's pretty good. But what, what did we see in year three? Yeah, you, so year, one of the best teams in the country. One of the best teams in the country, probably the best team ever at Dayton, right? It was he, National Coach of the Year, probably wins a national championship in year three. And people could say, well, 
well, he had an NBA lottery draft pick and he had one of the best point guards ever. Well, guess what? He developed those two guys. Yeah. So he gets credit for that. That's part of his strengths, skill development. So so you can't hold that against him. Well, it wasn't his coaching. It was he had awesome players. Well, guess who developed those players? So so he gets credit for that. So year three, one of the best years ever. OK, year four, it's COVID. It was the weirdest year for everyone empty arenas and not like trying to get those guys who were 13,000 people in the stands and fresh off of a potential national championship. It was a like, of course they had an okay season year four. Yeah. Everybody expected that. And so now here we are in year five where he has potentially one of the most talented teams coming. Like as far as, as you develop these, you know, one of the best recruits ever potential co-freshman of the year, I mean, you see what he's doing. So it's almost like, man, we're holding these these previous four years against him. We're saying, okay, yeah, you had one fluke national championship year, then forget the other three. I just just think that's unfair if you really look at how the last few years have gone. So, I mean, if if, – and so if we don't think that this team over these next two years should be a top 15 team in the country and sweet 16 potential – and it's because of what he started building five years ago when he sacrificed year one to set the tone here at Dayton. Just my just my opinion. So I think people are just a little unreasonable um, in how they hold him accountable and kind of dismiss what he actually has done and, and seeds he's planted to make this a long, a, a long tenured, you know, dominant program in A10. And that's where I divert from from these different crowds, right? Because I said this year and even last year, if you're a huge Anthony Grant proponent, you have a a strong argument this year to make. If you're an Anthony Grant detractor, you still kind of have an argument that you want to make, right? Like this year, we didn't get to the tournament. We had a lot of talent coming in. And frankly, you got to be blatantly honest about this. The coaching staff didn't have the team ready to start the year. You know, that's what does that mean, though? Wait, wait, wait. I, I hear people say that. I need you to I know. I need you to dive in. And here's why. When people say that, I have a hard time accepting that because it's not people that have played at that level. And I'm not one of those guys that say, well, you haven't played, so you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So don't take it that way. What I'm saying is to think that you're going to have a bunch of freshmen or the least experienced team, like people could say, well, some of these guys are 20 years old. No, the experience matters at this level. So, so to take guys that haven't done it at this level and say, well, they weren't ready to play at this level from, from the first two weeks of the season, like what, what does that mean? Like, help me understand what you mean by that. What, what I mean by that is I have not set the bar high with that statement. Like part of his job, part of the player's job, everybody's job is to come out and be ready for game one, for game two, to be ready. And the games that we're talking about are put on the schedule, you know, as well as anybody to get the team ready for when they play Miami or they play Kansas, right? That's why those games are in the schedule. You go and you have teams that are lesser quality teams. They're not talented. And, you know, with with respect, those guys are coming into the the arena. They want to win, too. Right. But I have not set the bar high in saying that the expectation of this program is that you have to win those games. You just have to figure out a way. And if you're starting one and three, you weren't ready one way or the other to start the season. And I and if you want me to drill a little bit further, you could probably have some better perspective into this. Is it. You know, Weaver was rolled out as a starting point guard on night one when it was pretty clear by like the time we got to game four or five that Malachi was going to be the starting point guard. Now, I'm not going to throw stones about that. Like if the coaching staff felt on night one that he was going to be the guy, they need to give him a chance. Whatever. That's fine. But what we're talking about here is that this team couldn't beat Austin P, who was 10 and 16. Okay, they couldn't beat Lipscomb, who was 11 and 18 now. And they couldn't beat UMass Lowell, who's also eleven and fifteen. I mean, they're just really yeah, but, but bad you're teams. making, but but people are making an argument based off of what they see on paper. Like uh, it, it's funny we laugh about it. UMass Lowell, they suck, and let's go. At the end of the day, they're grown men. They're trying who to win. Are Division one athletes. Yeah. Are they are they good relative when you're comparing them to to good college basketball? No, they're below average. But they're still Division One skilled basketball players. <laughs> yeah. So 
They get what I'm saying, and I think people lose sight of that, man. Like it's, yeah. I, I get it. They're not a very good team in, in the when you look at the whole scope. I get it, but but you're rolling out these these. And by the way, Anthony Grant runs a super complicated read and react pro style offense, which we've talked so, about many times. Yeah, yeah, man, it makes a difference. It takes a long time to feel comfortable in understanding how to what to do and when to do it and to read. And if I do this, then he should do. And we're talking about 18, 19 year old kids who's never played at that level. So am I saying that they should have lost? Of course not. They, they should. I wish they would have figured out a way to beat those three teams, but I understand why they struggled. And I'm also, and, and then, and then the Malachi argument, like from day one, it's easy to say Malachi should have been starting from day one. Well, it's, it's, it's no one in this, yeah, come on, man. No it's one not, knew that Malachi Smith was going to be this Malachi Smith. Yeah. I was I was going to many practices. I can tell you that I didn't think that this, this was going to be maybe next year. No clue that, that it, the light ball was just going to flip on with him and he was all of a sudden going to be potential freshman of the year. No one knew that. Yeah. So so you th- you're throwing all of these early season. And by the way, here now, here's where I won't let them off the hook. The coaches. And I actually made a joke with with Greer because I'm I'm cool with all of them. Yeah, I said, "Hey man, you you you're earning your money. <laughs> you're earning your your money this year because." And this was right after, right before Kansas, or right after Kansas that trip. My point though, what happened was the coaches came in a little bit spoiled from the two previous years. Think about this. They had a lot of experience, that nice, that, right? So it's like you had that 1920 team who was all man. We were the oldest team in the country almost, right? And and then the next year, you still returned a lot. You had Rodney and you had Crutcher and you had Ibby and, and go on and on. You, you didn't have to do the things that you have to do with 18-year-olds and freshmen. You you And so those coaches came in a little bit spoiled and they realized after a few weeks, like, oh, we're going to have to bring the energy in practice and we're going to have to yell and we're going we're gonna to have to go back to the basics. Get on that ass, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it was just – that was also it didn't make the papers or, you know, the, the nobody talked about it on Twitter. But that was the biggest change was the coaches. The light bulb went off for them. And I mean, they were sweating at practice and it, they took it old school on them to get them to turn around. See, and then but that's kind of that's kind of the point. Right. Is that um, like here's a question that, that I'll just I'll go right back to you. Like, okay. why is it unreasonable to expect them to at least go two and two in that stretch. Like it, it's yeah. like, we're, we're sitting here talking about it and we're always going to be able to, to have, you know, a good like civil hindsight discussion about it. I shouldn't start a one and three and whatnot, but you can't tell me it's unreasonable to sit here as a fan. And as you know, someone who follows the program and, and listeners out there, if you're a fan, follow the program, whatever, it's just not an unreasonable opinion to be like, they should have done something else or that light bulb should have gone on in the preseason so that we didn't start one and three, because going back to my first point that started this, that's the difference at Dayton, unfortunately between a season that goes to the NIT and doesn't, you know, amount to anything that's that's huge or it's life changing. And a season that gets the NCAA tournament. Like that's kind of the problem with our program. We're not in the Big Ten. We're not in the SEC. If you have these stumbles in the early season, it is damn difficult to make up for it. And I think that the knock from a lot of people on Grant was that he just didn't like I I don't believe this. I'm just saying like holistically, I think a lot of people said, well, he's got to start appreciating that we can't lose more than eight or nine games in a season. We just can't. That's just the nature of where we are in the landscape. And frankly, you know, if if I can play both sides, Grant's been doing a great job of beating the bottom feeders at the A-10. I mean, he really has been doing a, a better job of that than previous regimes, right? So mm-hmm. that part has come. But like we talk about the non-con, how important it is. And it's probably as important to Dayton as any program in the country. And for them to start one and three... I think it's reasonable for fans to be like, what the hell? Like, why oh, were we not ready? You completely know? agree. And, and my whole point, if you remember, I actually brought that up about how, how the coaches had to switch their style. Yep. I brought that up because I was saying 
everybody's being held accountable that if, if they could go back, that is something they would have done differently. Exactly. Right? Like that was their part of the responsibility, you know, where they were responsible, if you will, for the slower start. I mean, that's why I brought that up. So, so I agree with you and I absolutely agree with it being reasonable for fans to be upset at the one and three start. I can tell you this, there was nobody more, there was no fan in this world more upset than those coaches and players. Yeah. I I, I can tell you that. And I think fans forget that. Like it's as upset as you guys are, it's times a hundred for these players and coaches. Yeah. It's, it was embarrassing. Yeah. So, you know, people were talking on Twitter. Oh, it's so embarrassing. If you think you're embarrassed and tweet, like, <laughs> like imagine those guys. I remember, oh. I remember Duran's dad. He took to Twitter after the Lipscomb loss. And I remember him. I remember the exact tweet, dude. He goes, mama said there'd be nights like this. And I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't I say shit, yeah, yeah. but I wanted to be like, she didn't say these nights were going to be against Lipscomb, bro. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, he's a big and man. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell man. you this. I'm, I'm with everybody that was frustrated at that one and three start. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not justifying it or even excusing it away. No, no. It was a terrible start. And, and, but here's where I have an issue. It's where people started saying, and there were people that were saying it, oh, Grant, just, he just can't get it done. He's not the man for the job. And that's where I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? You got to look at the whole and, picture. And, yeah. And, and then 15, 20 games later, when we are somehow on the bubble watch, we forget about that that crazy that when we were one and three and, and those crazy, you know, prisoner of the moment. I like how you said that. Yeah. There were many people that were that were questioning, and, and I said this on Twitter earlier, you responded. I don't care how you say it, you can flat out say, He's not the man for the job, I hate him, fire him, or you can say, Well, I don't know, is he is he really the man for the job? It's the same thing. You're all, you know what I'm saying? I so yeah. So it's like Here's what I know. I can tell you this. The one and three starts sucked. Okay. But what he, this, this coaching staff figured it out along the way. And they have now got back on track and even in, ahead of pace to what we thought they could do with this group. We knew there was a ton of talent on Agreed. the paper, but managing talent and molding it to come together is hard as hell. And so, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I completely agree with that because I sat here and did a preseason podcast where I was like, man, we got a lot of talent. We're so deep. We got a lot of dudes. I mean, I said we were going to be 24 and seven. Like, I really believe that. And that's why it hurt me so much. Like, you know, there are certain things that people say that like, that it really just hurts me because they're like, you didn't believe in this team. And I'm like, because I'm just, I'm a realist. Like, again, yeah. prisoner of the moment. I see a team start one and three. And I'm like, these guys suck, you know? Right. But right. before the season, I'm looking at the depth. I'm looking at the talent. We got this top 50 recruit. This guy's going to be good in the A-10 from night one. And he was, right? Had no idea Malachi Smith was going to be as good as he was. Thought, you know, some other guys were probably going to contribute a little bit more than they have. But shit, man, I thought we were going to be 24 and 7. So, yeah. you know, are are we meeting expectations of this year? I guess so, because um, it has been it like depends on who you ask, right? Yeah, it just depends on how you look at it, right? Like True. if you if you're going into the year being like, oh, it's going to be a rebuilding year, then yeah, it's been a hell of a rebuilding year, right? Like we had three seed, um, and and Grant did the same thing with the that 2019 team, right? He he cleaned house, and then they came back, and everybody's like, boy, we sucked last year, and then they ended up being the three seed. But the yeah. problem at 2019 was the same as this year. They had like four or five opportunities in close games to move the needle and get it done, and they didn't get it done. And that's where the argument starts to like poke its head out of the ground from fans to be like, "Oh, are we going to get it done in these close games?" Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it, but it, is it is it more frustration or is it realistic, logical thinking? Oh, like, no, it's 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 in the moment frustration. It's, right, that, that's yeah. where I have an issue in the and saying it in the moment, whatever. But but people carry on with that. Every time that they slip up and it's I mean, like shit on, on Saturday, bro. I was drunk and some guy said Mally sucks and I told him to go fuck himself. So like, believe me, like I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody of getting in the yeah, man, and it's, and it's all good. Like it, it just and, and let me let me throw out another point. Remember this team, I think they were picked preseason to finish like eighth. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. So so but my point is we all laughed at that. You're crazy. But but why do you think they were picked that low? 
because they had no experience. And, and you people, go, it, people it can't. It matters, man. Like, I get that fans want to say, oh, they, they, they want. It's almost like they just don't want to acknowledge that that plays a part in the. <sighs> they just want to play all these games on paper. And unfortunately, man, there's a lot of intangibles that, that determine these outcomes. And one of those is experience, man. You can't. You, you can't mark it. You really can't put what it actually does, but there's something about experience. We see it year in and year out. So now, guess what? Why do you think they're learning how to win closer games? I know they dropped one at LaSalle, but that's asterisk because Tamani wasn't there. But yeah. to win at Richmond and win some other close games, it, it's because they've gained experience even within this season. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it, it makes it – and I hate to come off like I'm making I'm not making excuses. There have been many disappointing moments for this group this year. I've been just as pissed as, as anybody else with some of these losses. But I also have a different perspective because I get it. Now, you lose some of these games this way next year. Guess what? You're not going to hear me trying to explain it away. And and that was exactly where I, I wanted to kind of bring it full circle is that one of the reasons I've kind of <clears throat> I started to take steps back on like inserting myself in like the grant debate. You know, a lot of times now on Twitter, I'll just kind of <clears throat> send out what other people are saying. Like, here's the scuttlebutt right now. Here's what people are saying. Right. And then I'll have usually my thoughts are generally like what happens on the court. Like, here's exactly what I saw. Here's what what I've been breaking down from the game. But what I'm going to say is that. I, the one thing that gives me solace about this year is that next year there is nowhere to hide in any side of the argument. Like Absolutely. next year is just a tournament or bust team. Everybody's coming back besides yep. the guys that are going to end up transferring. And, you know, we don't need to get into that today. Some guys are going to end up transferring. It's just the reality of the business. Right. Um, but, you know, that is why I am excited about next year, because to be honest with you, man, I mean, you know, we talk about our difference in age all the time, but I'm getting too goddamn old to be fucking fighting with people on Twitter, like back and forth about, oh, Grant sucks or Grant's great. Because unfortunately, and this is the thing that I've just become so tired of in our fan base that like I try really hard to be objective and just call it how I see it. Right. And if you if you disagree with me, like, that's fine. You know, like you said, just come to me with an actual argument, basketball related of the argument. but. What I become so tired of is that people have treated the Anthony Grant debate like the political spectrum, which disgusts me in that people are like either a staunch Grant supporter or they're on the other side of the fence and they're like, the guy sucks and he's got to go and look what he did at VCU and he was never good at Alabama and they will never be convinced otherwise. And I'm just not with that because that life is not like that. You know, life isn't Democrat or Republican. Life is not black or white. It's not Anthony Grant sucks or he's great. You know, there's gray areas in everything. There's middle ground in everything. And if you're if you find yourself being radical in an argument, I have bad news for you. You're not adding anything that is going to be productive to that argument because radicality is not productive on any side of the fence, right? And and that that's again like it's a great point. That that's, it's a great point. Yeah. That, yeah, that's just why I get so tired of it because I say stuff the other day, um, like two weeks ago, I I, I kind of like flipped out on this one dude. I don't even know who it is, but he said like I said something like. Um, oh, Anthony Grant is, you know, this is his record and here's what he's done. And, you know, next year will be tournament or bust because I don't think we're going to get an at large. And someone had to come out of the woodwork and be like, well, Grant's building a great program and look what he's done. And I'm like, I follow this program every damn day. I know exactly what he's done. I know exactly what he's building. I know the holistic picture. I'm simply saying a statement that is true on this day of our Lord. Right. And and so that's where it's I guess maybe I have applied a little bit too much um, uh, like a little bit too much veracity to my arguments because I'm just really tired of people like having to stake their flag on one side of the ground. Like just take in what you're seeing and have an informed opinion. You don't have to defend a narrative or a position constantly. And unfortunately, that's kind of like where we're at in the world right now. But. No, that, those are those are great points. I agree with being radical. Perfect. Perfect example is Tamani Kamara. I, we I 
when he couldn't make threes early in the year, right? Yeah, and we it were was like, to the ah. point where, it, and listen, it was infuriating to people that he was shooting threes to the point where, I mean, they were like mad, like pissed that he was shooting threes. Here's my issue. I, I, I would joke about it a little bit, but I can see as a former player and shooting was my thing. I'm not going to say that I thought he would all of a sudden shoot 50% in conference play. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nobody did. But if you remember, I said that he can be a, a three and D guy potentially in the NBA. Remember that? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so clearly I'm, I knew that he had the capability of becoming a good shooter, but here's why I was looking at his mechanics. If you looked at his form, even when he was missing, it wasn't like you had to cover your eyes when he would shoot bad. Yeah. Drew, Drew said right? that so, here on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So so my point, though, to bring that up is it was so radical when he just was – he started off cold. and But but people had gotten radical about if he even looked like he was about to shoot, the tweets were flying I'm mid-game. Like, no, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So, but my, but, so I'm with you with the whole either you love Grant or you hate him. How about let's just say – their strengths and weaknesses like we talked about yeah. and leave it at that. I mean, for now, but now next year is going to be interesting because, okay, let's say they underachieve next year because the, the bar next year will be as high as it's probably ever been preseason. Yep. Right. So, so let's say it doesn't go the way we think it should go. Are we going to be crazy enough to be calling for his job? Are we, am I going to hear that talk again? Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't make the tournament this year and next year, yes, absolutely. People will be calling for his job. There's no and, doubt. And not even make the tournament. I, I agree with you. If he doesn't, and I, okay, let me, th- I don't agree. He should ever have his job taken. That's just me thinking he's good here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. If he didn't make the tournament, right. It, a lot of the noise would be justified. Yeah. But I'm saying even if we're not, because we potentially could be a top 25 preseason team, right? I don't even know the last time that's ever, if that's ever happened. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so like if we're not, yeah, we're good, but, but we drop a game here or there. I mean, is it go, are the expectations going to be crazy enough because there's that love hate with Anthony that it's either go undefeated or if you lose a couple games, man, people are going nuts. I worry about that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and it's I, it's gonna get realer no because these and the reason I say I worry about it because listen these these players hear the noise. Yeah, do you if you think that these players don't get on social media every thirty minutes and and they're scrolling and then we all know they are. Yeah, like like these young people are addicted to their phones. Yep, adults are addicted to their phones. Right. Yeah. So so I worry about that because I'm telling you from I, I know for a fact because my relationships with somebody they hear the noise. And and sometimes, man, it does. It plays. It plays. It plays with their their psyche because your home is supposed to be that comfort zone. But but when you don't feel like the support is there, listen. I was that irrational twenty one year old. I know our senior year. Sometimes we didn't like playing. My senior year. Sometimes we didn't like playing at home, or even throughout my career because. We I got booed into the locker room a couple times. Yeah, 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 exactly. Dayton fans you know, what you know so, when you're stinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro. So so man, I just I guess that's my point, man. I just I hope expectations were crazy this year. Next year, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be through the roof. So I, I hope they meet expectations or or it's gonna get wild on on Dayton Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I do get that point a lot from people, and it's totally it's totally justified. Um the unfortunate part about Twitter is that you know, I feel very thankful. Me and you can come out here and spend 45 minutes hashing yeah. this out and discussing all the nuance and the back and forth. But yeah, you know, if you're a 19 year old kid and you're like, Tamani should stop shooting threes. Like, he you know, sucks. He can't shoot. Yeah. It's like, you <laughs> yeah. know, not that I like take it back. I mean, he was a 22% career shooter up until like conference play started. But there's kind of a mentality to that, right? Like you're either going to say F these people, I'm going to show them why they're wrong or you start to believe it. Or and then in your head. and then you're yeah. in quicksand. Right. right. Um, right. So I, I've said that years ago um, and this kind of showed its head, just being honest, it showed its head the year after Scoochie and them left. Was it Scoochie, Kyle, Kendall, uh, Cook? Those guys were super good at not going online or giving a rat's ass what anybody had to say. They just didn't care. They didn't engage. They didn't go online. They just didn't get into the mud ever, right? And Archie was kind of that way. So it was kind of like a trickle down. Like Archie to this day doesn't care what anybody thinks about him, right? He's a basketball coach. Um, But the year after, I remember I got a DM like – 
couple of weeks before the season started from John Crosby. And he was reading my tweets and I was like, I don't think this guy's good enough. I don't think this guy can start. And, you know, my tweets probably didn't have as much polish as they do now. Polish, I mean, like, you know, three years ago, I was probably like gloves way off. Whereas like now I try to put at least some thought into what's going on in the ether. But I remember thinking to myself, damn, like, I don't think I want a point guard who's like constantly like, bro, I'm going to show you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong, you know, and there's like a balance there. And, um, you know, I, I've learned it over the years, but unfortunately when you're in college, you don't learn that your first year, you probably don't learn that your second year. You probably have to be an upperclassman before you take everything online with the proper grain of salt, because I'll say this because you brought up that point and it's a very valid point is that people are on your ass when you play poorly but at the same time, the minute you have successes, they'll be right there with you. And I know that that pisses some guys off. Like, how dare you celebrate with us when you didn't believe in us? But like, I got some bad news for you. In the real world, when you start one and three, people aren't going to fucking believe in you. <laughs> like, that's just life, man. You know, but it's hard to have that perspective and have it well-rounded when you're when you're 18 years old. I get that, man. I get it. Yeah, man. And that's a whole nother podcast in itself. <laughs> we, we can, because I, I could give you, you know, from the angle of being that player back in the day and then even now being close enough on the inner circle, I, I, I know how these guys fit. And you're right, man. Some, and here's the thing, too everybody has different mentalities. Some, some people revel in it. Yeah. And it makes them play better. Some people try to convince themselves they play better and use it as motivation, but it messes with them. Yeah, like so. Steph Curry, what do he say? Remember, he was like, he's like, I go to the locker room at halftime. I scroll tweets that people talking shit. He always does that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Some people can turn up. Some people, man, they they try to act like it doesn't bother them, but man, it messes their whole whole game up. You see it on the court. That's why trash. Why do you think trash talking is a thing? Yeah. Right, like on the court. I mean, you get into somebody's head, and it it, it affects with how they, it affects how they play. Yeah, man. When I was in high school, I had I had uh, I had a coach. Uh, I'm talking about soccer, but I had this coach. Um, he left our team my sophomore year, and then he went to our rival my junior senior year. Right. So by the yeah. time that I was a senior, the guy I always played forward, and he would he went up to his team. I'll never forget this. And he was like talk trash to Sully the whole game. Like, it doesn't matter what you say, just talk trash to him and you're going to get in his head. And like, that was the, that was the game plan. So I, I could definitely relate. I'm not, you know, relating my experiences <laughs> to like being on the basketball court for Dayton, but as a human being, I, you know, you I get, get it. it. I get it. You get it. You get it. All right. No, this was good. I, I'm glad we listen. I wanted to get into that AG thing and, and, and I'll, to end kind of that conversation, I'm cool with people having opinions on it for real. Like, yeah, I, you don't, you don't have to love AG. Like matter of fact, you don't even have to think that he's the best fit for Dayton. Like, I do. Though. Even, that's the thing. I'll even hear, right. Like that's cool. But, but it's when you start saying he needs to be fired and pointing out all of his, like, like creating this narrative and it's easy to build a narrative and, and, find every bad stat there is out there. Like you can always find whatever stats you're to the point you're trying to prove. Yeah. Yeah. You're being selective with numbers. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it just, I think he's, I think he's doing a great job. Um, but, but we all can agree the pressure is on next year. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and yeah, like I said, if you want to make the argument for Grant, all you got to say is, hey, look at 2020. If you want right, to make right. the argument against Grant, all you got to say is, hey, if you take out 2020, look how bad they've been otherwise. Right. Like it is really simple to, to yeah. play both sides. But um, yep. like where we started, man, I really do. I've always like wanted him to be the guy from the day he was hired. I want an alumni. I want the Dayton brand. I want a coach that's going to be here for 20 years, you know, like. That's what I want for this program. I want to beat teams that suck. I want to get to the NCAA tournament every year. And and I think that we're never going to be as close to finally stepping over that hump that we've been stuck on for like 15 years now that you, you know, your team set in motion where it was like, hey, maybe we're going to take the next step up after, you know, your tenure and Keith's tenure and we're going to be relevant every single year. And then right after that, they took a couple years off and then they didn't make the tournament again till low nine. It's like, I think all people want is to be together in that we take the next step up and we're as relevant as a pro as a program as people want us to be. So 
that do you think we're and, and do you last thing I'll ask you, do you think that we are do you think we're heading that direction? Or do you think it's we're still stagnant? It's I mean, you couldn't even say otherwise, man. Like we've had the best recruiting class ever this past year. Um we we just had a guy that's got chosen in the first round for the first time ever. Like, you know, Obi was the highest draft pick ever. We had the right. best team ever. Like, it's impossible to sit here right now and say that we're not going towards the, the right direction. But is it how I, I man here we, we're going to be on another hour. How is it? How is it impossible when we literally? No, no, no. That's what I said. It's it's impossible to say that we're not heading in the right direction. Oh, OK. Good. OK, man. You scared me, man. I'm <laughs> like, okay, all right. Man. Hour two. Let's go. Fire yeah, it up. Man, we'll do this all over again, man. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> OK. All right. I feel better. No, I'm it's, say. it's impossible to say that we're not heading in the right direction because right. of those factors, you know? Right, fair but, enough. <laughs> yeah. But the, the people on the other side of the fence are always going to be like, all right. Now let's do it on the court. And that that is right. the reality, man. It's just it's time to do it on the court. Um, because Dayton fans they they love they love beating their chest about stuff. The, so. the good the good news for those people, it all literally starts next year. And there's not anybody on either side of the debate that can argue that it gets real next year. Exactly. And that's what excites me, man. It really right. does. Right. All right, closing out the hour. It wouldn't be a talking out loud program without some trivia, so hit the music. The trivia, obviously, going into A10 Championship Week has to do with our futility in the A10 tournament since your boys won it in 2003. So, Brooks, we have gone through now 17 Atlantic 10 tournaments without a victory. My question to you tonight how many teams in the Atlantic 10 have beaten Dayton in those 17 tournaments? How many? T- okay, hold on. How Is many different teams, different teams have yeah, beaten okay. Dayton in the 17 years? I mean, I, would, I have no clue, so I'll guess. Uh, different teams. I bet we have lost to playing the same team a couple. I don't know, seven. Close. It's nine. Um, okay. Yeah, it's nine. So Dayton has lost one time apiece to Temple, Duquesne, Richmond, Butler is one outlier people always forget about because they're in the league for one year. And then uh, Davidson 2017 first round. That one was ugly. Uh, Slew first round in 2019 3-6 game. The, the teams that have beaten us multiple times, I'm sure you can get probably two of these off the top of your head. Oh, yeah. Xavier has beaten yep. Dayton. You want to take a stab at how many times Xavier's beaten us in the A-10 tournament? Uh, five. That's right. Five times. <laughs> uh, and, and in 2002 before, uh, obviously. So that would have been six times. But since the last win, five times for Xavier, three times for St. Joe's, and then three times for VCU in the 2015 final, 2018, and 2021 last year. Um, I'm sure I wasn't enlightening you with anything on that one, but I, I'm ready. Hey, I, I, I was listening though. Like I checked, <laughs> remember I checked out the first few minutes. I listened to that trivia. <laughs> oh man. You know, I, I'll finish the show by saying this, man, that I'll get to, to your final thoughts of what you have for the people. Um, is it after the LaSalle game? Like I was kind of down. Cause like going into that LaSalle game, I was like, man, maybe this team really does have a chance to, to run the table. They've already won three games in, in four days in the Thanksgiving tournament. And then they beat Richmond in a really gutsy win last night on Tuesday night. And now I'm right back to where I was pre-LaSalle and saying that Dayton hasn't won an A-10 tournament since 2003. We've taken some horrible losses. We've taken some heartbreaking losses. You know, Xavier in the final, VCU in the final, Richmond in the final. Um, But... Over the years, I've been like, does this team have the juice? Do they believe? And the one thing that I do firmly believe to close out the program is that these young guys could not care less how many tournaments Dayton has lost in a row. They believe they're going to get on the plane believing that they can win the whole thing. And I think that's going to be strong enough uh, to at least win one game that they shouldn't. So here's hoping we at least get to Sunday because if it's a crapshoot on Sunday, 
I'm taking the Flyers. So take us out with your final thoughts tonight, man. No, I'm with you. I actually I feel good about this tournament. I do. I you know, I think they, they fared well on a neutral court this year. Three and oh. Right. So so I feel good about it. But no, I, I'll say this. This was a very good conversation. I'm glad because I healthy debate is what I'm about, man. And and yeah, you don't have to love it doesn't have to be love or hate. It could be you just don't like something, but but come with basketball reasons. Like it just can't it just can't be he sucks. And I like, why do you say he sucks? Right. Like, what? and that's, that's where I enjoyed this conversation. And then the other thing I'll say is uh, I'm trying not to get too excited about next year because they still have a chance this year. Yes. Plenty of season left. But, yep. But man, <laughs> but man, man, ne- next year, uh, I think if they return and they should probably return their top seven or eight, I'm confident with, with no real inside information yet. I'm confident this, the top eight return. I agree. You're right. So if we can get that, I mean, I'm sweet 16 or bust, right? I know, man. The last time we had those expectations was 2017. And, hey, they got a tough matchup with Wichita. And they, they very much could have gone to the sweet 16 if they would have had a better matchup because that's what the NCAA tournament's all about, man. Just as that. Yeah, and do it next year because Holmes is gone after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that. Too. It was like, <laughs> like all right, we might only have the one year with them. Oh, yep. man. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I feel very fortunate that I do have this program and I can um, take the Twitter beefing to a, a, a greater degree. And I think anybody that knows me, anybody that listens to this program consistently knows that at the end of the day, this is exactly what I'm going to do with, with anyone is we're going to talk it over. We're going to make points. It's not going to be black and white. There's going to be things that you say that are valid. There's going to be things that you don't think are valid for me, but I'll at least explain myself. So um, I knew that when you texted me, I knew that you wanted to come and chop it up this week. So I'm glad that we got to do it, man. But uh, it was an hour well spent and uh, it'll always be an hour well spent on this program talking about Dayton Flyers hoops and Anthony Grant, man. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate you. I always enjoy these conversations with you. Absolutely. Uh, That'll do it for tonight. Dayton game, 1230 Eastern against Davidson at the arena this Saturday to close out the regular season. Again, Flyers two seed or three seed. And that's all she wrote. Uh, Two rules. Wear red, be loud, and we'll catch you next week. We used to be number 10. Now we permanently won in the battle. Lost my finger. Mike became my arm. Pistol nozzle. It's nasal. Blood becomes warm. Tell them, come on, be easy now. That's why cleft see that flesh get scorned. You so bad, make you feel like you ain't wanting to be born, John. Tell your friends they that hell like my lord. Chicken George became dead George, stealing chickens from my phone. I'm not the dead kitchen. If you're my theosis, then I'm bringing on hate to Cecilia. Nobody shoot me. My body's made a hand grenade. The girl bled to death while she was tucking in the razor blade. That sounds sick. Maybe one day I'll write the horror. Black killer comes to the ghetto. Jackson Acura. Stevie Wonder sees crack babies. Be clinging in the knees in their own families. I'ma get them coming over we soon done. Gun by my side just in case I got the rum. A boy on the side of Babylon trying to front like you're down with Mount Zion. Take those shorts like poo-poo. See Gucci's, buy Gucci's for Gucci's and Gucci find me.
sit 90 degrees underneath palm trees Smoking BDs as I burn my calories Brooklyn rooftops become Brooklyn TPs Who that be? Enemy wanna see the death of me From Hawaii to Hawthorne I run marathons like Ushawatan I'm a true champion like Farrakhan reaches Delhi Quran It's a phenomenon Lyric fast like Ramadan What's going on? Overgetting come you know what we're soon done Gun by my side just in case I gotta run A boy on the side of Babylon Trying to front like a cow with Mosiah What's going on? Whatever we gotta do it right, yo. We need captains.